Thank you, Clay. Appreciate you, brother. Appreciate the worship team and church. I appreciate you. As you're here and, you know, we're finishing out the year, I think you've made a, a great choice. What better place to be as we say goodbye to 2023 than with brothers and sisters in Christ, celebrating a risen king, recognizing that, as Clay said, even though times get hard and even though things are difficult, uh, God is at work in the midst of that. Amen. I am grateful uh, for you guys walking along as we've walked through this year together. And as we look at 2023, we look back and we're like, hey, we, we covered some ground in, on our Sunday mornings together. I wasn't the only one preaching, but together we've walked through a little bit of Genesis. We've walked through a little bit of 1 Peter, Daniel, right? 2 Peter. We've talked about a lot of different stuff. We just recently finished Ruth, and now we come to the last Sunday and I'm going to ask you to turn to the Gospel of John. I'm going to ask you to turn to the Gospel of John, and, and it seems like, okay, hold on, if you've got one Sunday left, why are we starting a gospel? I'm not going to preach the whole gospel this morning. As a matter of fact, I've been looking forward to this year as we prayed about it, sought the Lord for where we'd go. We're going to, we're going to spend all of 2024 in uh, John's writings. So we're going to be looking at the Gospel of John, but then we're going to go out of that. We're going to look at 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, his letters. And we're going to look at Revelation as well uh, as we just consider how the Lord used this dear brother uh, to reveal his word to us. And so I'm grateful for that. Uh, and there are some unique things about John that make it particularly fitting that we don't wait until 2024 to start the series, uh, that we end the year looking forward to the next year. Uh, some of the things that John talks about, uh, themes that he develops, I think are going to be vital for us, right? John talks a lot about the love of God. John talks a lot about what it looks like for God to love us. He talks a lot about what that looks like for us to love him. But he also talks about what that love looks like when we're engaged with one another. How it is that we are meant to love those that God has put us in and around. And so we'll talk a lot about that. Uh, we'll talk a lot about his contrasts. He contrasts the, the light and the darkness. He, he contrasts the, uh, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. He, he's got all of these different things going in his writings that I think are going to be important for us as we walk together through it. But in John chapter 1, what we're going to be looking at here, we get this sense of, of there being kind of something new happening. Right, John is a unique gospel, and, and when you put Matthew and Mark and Luke together, you've get, you get a pretty clear idea, all of it kind of working together, working the same. Uh, that's why they're called the synoptic gospels. They kind of look alike. Uh, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, uh, they give us this sense of who Jesus is. John is written a little bit later. John, John comes at it from a different perspective, and I think that different perspective can be helpful. We start talking about a new year. We start talking about that, that changing of the calendar. We start getting excited. Let me ask this. Any, any New Year's resolution makers in here? No? No? Nobody? Yeah, you guys are smart. You're like me. I don't make New Year's resolutions. You know why? Because they never last. Right? Why would I start the year out, out failing at something else? Right? Why would I set myself up for failure? But did you know that science has shown pretty conclusively that tying a resolution, tying a change that you want to make to a calendar date 
makes it much more likely of success. And so, so maybe we shouldn't be so quick to knock the New Year's resolution idea because what God can do sometimes is take that date on the calendar, that clean slate as Clay reminded us, and he can use that to really start to change us. And as a matter of fact, one study I looked at said you're two and a half times more likely to follow through on a commitment tied to a date like January 1st than you are to one that doesn't have a date tied to it. So John comes along and he gives us this new view of uh, the gospel, this new view of Jesus, and that's really the key thing that I want us to see this morning. I want us to see this newness that is available to us in looking at things through John's perspective. John was inspired by the Holy Spirit. He wrote what he wrote under the guidance of the Lord, and yet we get his unique perspective as well. And I think that's going to be beneficial for us as we walk together in this. Um, but all those things that come about with the new year and all of that, did you know that there is every year a new color of the year? This was news to me. Literally news to me. Because I get this, this news aggregator email, like in the mornings, I get it, and, and that's how I get my, get my news. And one of their stories was Pantone releases the color of the year. And I'm like, I didn't know we'd had to wait for somebody to tell us what the color of the year is. Now, without spoiling it for your neighbors, how many of you know, who weren't in the first service, how many of you know what the color of the year is for 2024, according to Pantone? The color of the year is peach fuzz. Peach fuzz. Isn't that a wonderful color for 2024? New year, new color of the year, peach fuzz. Now, I hate to break it to the kind folks at Pantone from whom I stole this picture, right? That that is not a peach. There's not a peach in there. As a matter of fact... I guess maybe they went for the fuzz there, didn't they? They went for the fuzz. That's what it was, right? But when you look at that, okay, now let's, I'm not, I'm not poking fun. I'm not doing anything. I'm not trying to call anybody out. But guys, how many of you see that color and you're like, you know what? I need pants in peach fuzz besides Kamar. Oh, Clay too. All right, right? How, how many of you look at that and you're like, you know what? I need a car, in peach fuzz in 2024. My life would be complete if I had more peach fuzz in it, right? We, we look at this color and it's kind of fun to me to see this. And I, I did a little bit of research now that I found out about this thing. I was like, go back a little bit, look at some of the previous colors and whatnot. And I don't know, it's just not my thing. It, it, it's not my thing. But hey, if that floats your boat, great. When we come to a new year, it's not just time to pick a new color. It's time to get a new perspective, and that's what I want us to do together as we look at the Gospel of John, beginning in verse 1. I hope that you've got that open in front of you, and I want you to follow along as I read. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. 
He was in the world and the world was created through him and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, this was the one of whom I said, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Indeed, we all have received grace upon grace from his fullness, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The one and only Son, who is himself God and is at the Father's side, he has revealed him. When we look at this text, when we, when we, when we see what John is getting ready to do, he's, he's giving us an introduction. He's launching us out into this journey through his gospel. Right? And the gospels are interesting, they're unique, uh, in that they're, they're not really biography, right? They're, because there's all these teachings mixed in there, and they're not just teaching because there's all this biography in there. There's, it's a unique thing, and John is setting the stage for us here in his introduction. He's introducing us to the main character in his gospel. And that main character he calls the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Who's the Word? Jesus. This is a perfectly acceptable time to give a Sunday school answer, right? Jesus is the Word of God. And what John does as he introduces us to Jesus is he begins to tell us why it matters that we pay attention to him. Why it, why it is that we need to give John, not just this time in the introduction, but why we need to walk with him through his entire gospel is because of this character called the word, who he later says, this is Jesus Christ, right? We're, we're gonna see this, and, but it's meant to draw us in. It's meant to pull us in to the rest of the gospel, and that's what I think is important for us this morning. We need to understand what he means by the word, okay? Now, when, when John uses that particular Greek word, it's logos in the original, when he does that, he's using a word that has a ton of meaning in a Greek context. All right, so the New Testament by God's grace, given to us in the language Greek, all right? Logos meant a lot in Greek thought. And when, when somebody who, who grew up speaking Greek, when somebody who was in that first century culture, when they heard that word logos, what they were thinking of was reason. What, what they were thinking about was, was logic. What, the, what they were thinking about was the organizing principle of creation, Right, and it was, it was, it's almost hard to overstate just how important that term was to the Greek mind. When he says word and it's logos there, people are gonna hear this is the power behind creation. This is the organizing principle keeping the chaos at bay. But John's not just writing in Greek. He's writing in Greek as a Israelite as a Hebrew. He's writing as somebody who was intimately familiar with the Old Testament. And if you look at the Old Testament, the word of God is a very important concept. And when the Hebrew mind hears word, they're thinking about God's word. 
Like, the, like Isaiah says, right? Isaiah, as he's talking about the Lord, he says, the Lord's word goes out from his mouth and it surely accomplishes that for which it was sent. And David writes psalms praising the word of God, praising the law of God, praising this revelation whereby Yahweh has shown himself and revealed himself to his people. And so John brings these two things together. He brings together the Greek thought, what is it, the logos? And he brings together this Hebrew idea of the word of God and he combines them. He says, Jesus fulfills both of these. It doesn't matter if you come at it from this angle or this angle, Jesus is that. He's the power beyond creation, keeping the chaos at bay. He's the revelation of God, showing his people exactly what he intends for them. If I was to summarize it, I would say that in John's introduction, what we see is that Jesus shows us who God is, who we are, and who we can be. All of those things are here in John chapter one. Now, if I was a normal preacher and if this was a normal church, to which the answer is no on both counts, but if this was in any way, shape, or form normal, we would probably need to take our whole morning and just really look at verse one. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And then two and three maybe would be next week. And we're not doing that. We're gonna take a 30,000 foot view of this But I want us to understand what John is doing is he's showing us this. Jesus is essential for us to understand who God is. Jesus is essential for us to understand who we are. And Jesus is essential for us to understand what we can be, who we're intended to be, who God made us to be. So let's let's talk about that. Let's dive into that. But I want us to understand the why of that before we do it. Peach fuzz. Amen. Didn't expect an amen right there, just be honest. You can picture those pants in peach fuzz now, can't you? You can picture what a car in peach fuzz would look like. How many of you could have done that prior to me throwing that slide up there and leaving it up there for you to contemplate? We are visual people. Right? We, 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 as human beings, we often have to see, hear, smell, touch, taste before we begin to understand the reality of something. Right? And if we're going to understand who God is, who we are, or what we can be, then we needed to understand, we need to have a picture of that. We needed to have something that we could look at and begin to wrap our heads around, and that's why Jesus came. In the beginning was the word, and the Greek mind would have said the word is uh, something that we can't quite wrap our heads around. The, the word is perfect, and we're here in this material world, and we can't wrap our heads around perfect. And the, the Jews, the same thing. The word of God is, is lovely, it's pure, and yet they found themselves day in and day out living in a world that seemed to not have as much to do with that word. They couldn't quite picture it, and we can't either. And so God sent his son, Jesus, to be that picture so that we could begin to grasp this reality that is so important for us. The first part of it is, who is God? Jesus shows us who God is. Now, if you're a note taker, I want you to get ready. I want you to have your pens ready because this is going to be fast and it's going to be a lot, but I don't want you to miss it. You ready? God is. 
period. Do y'all get that? Do I need to repeat it? God is, period. This is one of the things that John just assumes. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God, right? Like the author of Genesis doesn't ever try to defend the existence of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He never says, okay, this is where God came from. He never talks about any of that. He just assumes God is. Because there is anything else, God must be. Right? That is the idea at the heart of John's opening here. God is, period. But the mere fact that God is, we can't necessarily picture or get an accurate sense in our minds of what kind of God he is. And so Jesus comes, right? Jesus comes and he shows us the kind of God who is, and the kind of God that he is is very difficult for us to wrap our puny little human brains around, right? Because we see in scripture, uh, Deuteronomy chapter six, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But then you have John saying things like this, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Well, how can, the, how can God be one if the word is also God? And you've got other places like Matthew chapter 28, where you have three. You've got the Father, you've got the Son, and you've got the Holy Spirit, all of whom are given credence, given standing as divine. So the God who is, is, is not something that we can just wrap our heads around, but with the biblical authors, we should be able to say, he is Father and Son and Holy Spirit. The God who is, is a singular plurality. One God, three persons. The God who is, is a united diversity. Three persons, one God, right? If we can wrap our heads around that, which frankly, we haven't been able to for 2,000 years, I don't think we're gonna be the first generation to nail it. But if we can wrap our heads around that, we're a long way down the road to understanding what Jesus is showing us about who God is. Brandon Smith, great guy, he's got a great first name anyways, he, in his, his, his book on the Trinity, he said, to speak of the one God of the Bible is to speak of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And I like how he says this. They are each God, but they are not each other. All right? When it comes to affirming the doctrine of the Trinity, that's what we're talking about, the triunity of God, three persons, one divine being, we can't necessarily wrap our heads around it, but we can absolutely say each is God, each is not the other, each is equal, and that's what Jesus shows us. Jesus shows us the, that he is God and the Father is God, and then he later speaks about the Spirit being God. He says, I don't do anything except what the Father says. And if I leave, then the Father will send the Spirit to comfort. Can't necessarily wrap our heads around it, but we need to understand that because it's key to John's thought. As we walk through his works, we'll understand this more and more, that he is worshiping a God who is this singular plurality, this trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then he, he digs in a little bit more. It's not just that this God is, and it's not just that he is three in one, it's that he's the creator. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. How many things have been created? Can't even put a number on it, right? We can't even wrap our heads around that. And yet what John does is he holds up a scorecard 
And he's like, okay, here's all the things. Yeah, Jesus did all of those. And here's all the not things. Yeah, Jesus didn't do that either. He did everything, everything that was made, he made. He's God in every sense of the word. But he's not the kind of God who walks away from what he's made. All things were made by him, right? He's created everything apart from him. Not one thing was created that has been created. But then it says, in him was life. In him was life. He's not just the creator, he's also the sustainer, right? You take your first breath when you enter this world. That's a pretty important breath. Does that mean you don't ever have to breathe again? I've said this many times. If it's a surprise to you, I apologize. My wife and I are expecting our fourth. It's been 10 years since we've done the baby thing, okay? There's a lot of stuff that I've forgotten, but I'm pretty sure that we don't go to the hospital near or around April 3rd and then just like, whoop, glad we got that out of the way. Done. If you're a parent, you know, like, parenting, it's not just bringing new life into the world. There's, there's a lot of work that takes place to sustain that life. There's a, that's when the work starts, right? Jesus is not the kind of God who created life and was like, well, glad that's done. In him was life, the sustained, the ongoing, the present tense life. In him was life and the life was, was the light of men. He's the creator and he's the sustainer of this life. So he's still present. He didn't just create and walk away. He created and he stayed engaged. Well, one of the things that's pretty quickly apparent from John is that the reason the life has to be the light is because there is darkness. There's darkness. When we were created, we were created good. And yet we looked at God and we said, we don't want to be good. We don't want to be yours. We want to be our own. We want to have free will. We want to have autonomy, whatever you want to call it. We walked away. And so Jesus, John says, is not the kind of God who creates and walks away. He's the kind of God who creates and sustains. And he's the kind of God who redeems brokenness. He's the kind of God who fixes what we've messed up. And that's why he's engaging in this. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is an idea that's utterly foreign to the mindset of the day. Whether you were Greek or whether you were Jew, didn't really matter. You agreed that the word does not take on flesh. The word is perfect. The word is this pure reason, wisdom, and, and it does not take on flesh because flesh is chaotic and messy. And, and for the Hebrew mind, the word of God is pure, it is perfect, it is not concerning itself with the nitty-gritty realities of life, and yet John says the word took on flesh. He's introducing us to this idea that what he's going to do is he's going to redeem us. He's going to fix us. He reveals what no one has ever seen. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the Son, he has revealed him. He's the revealer. He's the redeemer. That's who God is. That's who God is. Now, who are we? Jesus also gives us a sense of who we are. Well, first off, if Jesus is the creator, then we're not. If Jesus is the creator, then we're not. Hear this. 
100% of the problems in your life have a single cause. 100% of the problems in the world have a single cause. You have a bunch of creatures pretending that they're creators. You are limited you are finite, you are not able to do everything that needs doing in a day, nor could you do everything that needs doing in a lifetime. And yet, the reason so many of us are wore out and frustrated and depressed is because we think we are not creatures. We deny our finiteness and we try to claim that which is only God's, the one who can create and sustain We are created. This is important. We are entirely dependent for our existence on the one who created. We are entirely dependent on the one who created for our continued experience of this life. The one who sustains us is the one who does that. We don't do that. And trying to imagine otherwise, trying to pretend that we're master of the ship, commander of our own fate, trying to pretend that is a sure way to one, be extremely frustrated, and two, make a royal hash of things. When we are living as those who are creators rather than those who are created, we misunderstand our role in things. Our role is not to command, our role is to submit. And yet, we looked at the God who created and who sustained, and we said, no thanks, we'll take it from here. We may have done so in what seems like a minor way, but essentially we said, we don't want you to be king anymore, God. We want to rebel, and that's when the darkness came in. When we cut ourselves off from the life, when we cut ourselves off from the light, what we get is death and darkness. That was our choice. We rebelled. So who is man? We're created. Who is man? We're rebellious. Not only that, we're ignorant because we don't remember that we did those things. We don't think about the God who reigns. So we're limited, rebellious, and ignorant. Look at this, verse 11. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Right? The creator shows up. And the creation says, meh, whatever. Everybody missed it. Well, not everybody. I was arguing with Kamar a little bit about this between services, but not everybody missed it. But pretty much everybody did, including the 12 people who walked around with Jesus while he was alive. They wanted him to be what they wanted him to be. And Jesus said, that's not why I came. I didn't come to get an army and run Rome out of town. I came to redeem you. I came to die for you so that any who believes would not perish but have eternal Life. That's why Jesus came. We were ignorant of that fact. Now, if that's where it stopped, who God is and who we are, and it stopped with God being the creator and us being the creature, and it stopped with God being the sustainer and us being the rebels, and it stopped with God being the revealer and us being the ignorant ones, then that would be a pretty short story. And we could just kind of skip 2024 coming back to church. But that's not where it stops. Because he doesn't just show us who God is and who we are. He shows us who we can be. One of the key verses in all of scripture is there in verse 12. 
There in verse 12. He, well, let us start in 11. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name. Left to our own devices, we're finite, we're rebellious, and we're ignorant. But God says, not for long. I'm going to give you my son. I'm going to send you the word. And when the word comes, if you believe in him, I'm going to give you rights. What rights do rebels have? None. And yet God says, if you believe in my son, I'll give you the right to be called children of God. God did not walk away from his creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form, darkness, the spirit hovering over the watery chaos. John, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us so that we could see his glory. One of the key ideas for John is that in when we see Jesus, we don't just see who God is and we don't just see the reason that he came because of our sin, our rebellion. We also see what it is that we can be. We can be children of God. We are invited into fellowship with the Lord of creation. We are invited into communion with the eternal I am. You and I are called children of God when we submit to and believe in the son. We are adopted. We talked about that in Ruth a little bit, right? We're adopted. We become part of the family. God did that. That's who we can be. We're not left in finite, broken, ignorant, rebellious. We're invited into the palace and we're given the rights of children, the right to be called his and not our own. Excuse me. That's good news. That is good news, brothers and sisters. But it's not just good news for you. All right, Stuart said I was going to do it, so I better do it. All right, look around. No, no, for real. Like, look at other people. Make some awkward eye contact. Give the, give the little, you know, sup, chin nod thing. Sup. God didn't just love you and send his son for you. He loved that person that you just made eye contact with and he sent his son for them. And God didn't just love you and the person that you nodded to. God loves everybody in this room. But did you know that on a Sunday morning in Christian County, Kentucky, there are six times as many people not in a room like this as are in a room like this? if not more, 70,000 people, roughly 10,000 of them in a church on a Sunday morning celebrating the love of God for them. Now, you don't have to be in church to be a Christian, but it doesn't hurt. You, you, don't, you don't have to be in church to go to heaven, but being in church and celebrating the kind of God who would come and give his life for you, that's a pretty good indicator of where your priorities lie. And if 60,000 people this morning are not in a church building, that's 60,000 people minimum who are in desperate need of this truth of who God is, 
and who they are and who they can be. And church, our task in 2024 is not just the people in this room. And our task in 2024 is not just the people who are here at the nine o'clock service. No, no, no. Our task as those who understand who God is, as those who understand who we are and understand what it is that Jesus has showed us about what we can be, his children, our task is to go to all of those who have not heard and see them brought in. Now, listen, that's not Stuart's job. That's not Brandon's job. That's not Michael's job. That's not Kamar's job or Caleb's job or Robin's job or Jamie's job or somebody else's job. That's your job. Our task is to be exactly what Jesus was for us to others. That's why we're called the body of Christ. We're we're called to go and to show people who God is and to tell them just how incredible his love for them is. And to invite them into the light out of the darkness. To invite them into life out of death. Verse 6 says that there was a man sent from God whose name was John. I want you to do me a favor real quick. We're not playing fast and loose with the word of God here. But it's perfectly acceptable that if Jesus could come and say, all authority has been given to me, go and make disciples. If he could say that there, you could take John out there and put your own name in. There was a man, there was a woman sent by God whose name was Brandon or Gary or Megan or your name here. We are God's rescue plan for the world. We are the only option that God gave for the world to hear you are loved and your creator longs to be restored, you to be restored in relationship with him. We're plan A and there is no plan B. Now, when I say we, I'm not just talking about Edgewood, just so we're clear. We have an incredible privilege. We, we are in a community with some wonderful sister churches. Same team, we're not competing with anybody. We all have the same call. We all have the same task to go to our community, the people that don't know the love of God, and to show them, to tell them, to be for them what John was, what Jesus is. That's our task, church. In 2024, where you are at is no accident. You are called to do this thing. You are called to be a kingdom ambassador, you are called to share and be an ambassador of God's love. You are called to that in your neighborhood, your household, your workplace, your whatever. Your sphere of influence is the place where God is saying, here's the word, here's the life, here's the light, and you're called to take that to them. Whatever else we do in 2024, My prayer, my hope is that we will embrace that. That we will embrace that purpose and that call, whatever that looks like for each one of us. Let's pray.